Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to open it up and unpack all the, the amazing things that you have said and done. Lord, please transform us. Please mold us. May you make us to be more like Jesus, who is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And may you guide all of us, Lord, as we seek to learn that we would be open in our minds, that we would be inquisitive and curious, but that we would also be submissive to what your word says. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed, we've been talking about covenant theology, um, and for the last half decade we've been talking about the Mosaic Covenant, um, and believe it or not, we're actually sort of kind of getting close to maybe sort of starting to stop with the Mosaic Covenant, um, which means probably another month, but we're getting close, which is awesome. Uh, you all are doing a great job. Um, but as a quick review, just so we remember where we're at, right? What's the big picture? What's the, what is the question that we're looking at the Mosaic Covenant through? What's the big picture that we've been trying to hammer home every week? Does anyone remember? Who's the Savior is going to be, right? What's he going to do? Yeah, it's pointing back to Genesis 3.15, right? The promise that God gave in Genesis. Uh, the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent, and he shall bruise his heel. Um, and now we're just unpacking what that means as God reveals it throughout uh, history, as he um, unpacks it through the covenants that we see in Scripture. <clears throat> so what's the question in particular, or what answers have we given to that question already? What does the Mosaic Covenant teach us about the promised seed? What's he going to do? Who crushed that as a serpent? Mm-hmm. But throughout, what does the Mosaic Covenant specifically teach us about the promised seed? <clears throat> okay, he's a redeemer of the people. Okay. What else? He's going to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. He's going to fulfill the law. All right, that's important because the Mosaic Covenant... One of the main purposes of the Mosaic Covenant was to teach God's people, here's the standard, right, to enter into heaven. Or let's, let's even back up. Here's the standard to enter into heaven. Here's the standard to stay in the, in the land. It's not even quite as, as lofty as to get into heaven. You can't even get the, the lower standard. You can't even get in, stay in the land, so how come you think that you can get into heaven? Um, but the whole point, right, is not to make Israel despair. It's to make them is make them seek God and say, well, God, we can't. We need you. We need grace. We need you to do this for us. We can't achieve that standard. Um, so we need a, a promised seed who is going to fulfill the law for us. What else is the promised seed going to do? So he's going to keep the law. Right? He's going to be a redeemer. What did we talk about last week? It was super important. He's going to be a prophet. Right. Yeah, he's going to be a prophet. In fact, he's going to be the prophet. He is the prophet that all the prophets of the Mosaic Covenant are modeled after. Because what do prophets do? Speak the word of God. They speak the word of God. Yeah, and where do they get the word of God from? From God, right? So they have to go to God, receive it, and then go to the people. Wouldn't it be nice if God himself would just tell you what he says? 
right? And speak it openly and plainly to everyone. Well, that's what Jesus does, because he's the word of God himself made flesh. If you want to know, right, what God's word says, look to Jesus. Um, He is the one who reveals the Father's will. I came not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Uh, If you want to go to the Father, if you want to have access to God, to access his, his throne room and his chambers and hear his will, hear what he says to you, the only path is through Jesus. There's no other path. There's no other prophets. There's no other um, men who you can access God's revelation through. So there's no Muhammad, right? There's no Adam Smith, John Smith, John Adams. What's his name? Joseph. Joseph Smith, Mormon men. Yeah, John Adams. Um, yeah. Joseph Smith, Mormon man himself, none of those guys, right? It's just, it begins and ends with Jesus. All the prophets in the past, right, in the, in the Old Testament, were simply revealing in little pieces what Jesus would later say. So he sa- uh, Jesus says, right, if you'd read Moses, you would know about me. But if you read the Law and the Prophets, you would see that they're about me, not about someone else. I'm the, I'm the one that they talk about. So Jesus is our, um, he's the one who keeps the law perfectly. He is a prophet. He is the prophet. Um, and he keeps the law perfectly for us, which means he's a mediator. Right? A mediator is someone who, who acts on behalf of someone else. Um, so he's the one who goes into the, the trial by combat representing you. If Jesus wins, right, you win. If Jesus loses, you lose. But Jesus won. And so you win. Right? You receive the rewards and the blessings because Jesus has done it for you. He's kept the law perfectly for you. So we're going to now jump to the, an, another dimension. We're going to add another facet to the diamond of Christ. Um, and we're going to talk about how Jesus reflects, right? He's the word of God as a prophet. But now we're going to talk about the, the priesthood. Um, and this is a little bit meatier of a topic. There's a lot more to talk about um, because we should talk about the priesthood of the Mosaic Covenant. We should talk about the feasts, um, the temple a little bit, how the priesthood and covenant can, are connected. There's a lot of things to talk about um, because this is a bigger topic because a lot of it is pushing us to say, okay, so what is Jesus going to do? How does the priesthood and the temple and the feasts and the ceremonial laws, how do all of these things show us who Christ is, what he's going to do for us? Um, so that's our next topic that we're going to talk about. Um, I would highly recommend that you all go home today or this week and read Hebrews 5 through 10 um, and just kind of sit and marinate in Hebrews 5 through 10 for a while because it will blow your mind. Um, but everything that Hebrews talks about in, Hebrews, in 5 through 10 is this, right? The things that I'm going to be talking about are in some way or another, related to Hebrews. So if you want to know what I'm saying, just go read Hebrews. And Hebrews says it way better than I can. But broadly speaking, right, let's, let's talk about big picture of priesthood first. What were the responsibilities of the priests in the Mosaic Covenant? What did priests do? Okay, they offered sacrifices. For whom? For the people, yeah. What else? They offered sacrifices. Did they do anything else? They taught the people. They taught the people, okay. 
Yeah, they were in charge of the distribution to those who are in need. Tim was cheating because we had membership class yesterday, and we talked about the priesthood. Where did the priests live? So you know how all the, t- all the tribes of Israel had their allotted portion of land. Where did the priests live? Yeah, they didn't have a specific allotment. Why? They had a common ground around around the temple. Around the temple, yeah. So in a sense, they don't have allotment in the land, they have allotment in the temple. That's their lot. They actually get to eat of the Lord's table. Right? They're, they don't grow their own food. They, they take from the, the sacrifices that people offer. The Lord shares it, so to speak. Um, yeah, b- the big picture is that these, the priests are they're offering sacrifices, right? They're, they're in the temple. They're the ones who are guarding and preserving and keeping the temple and the tabernacle. Um, they are teaching the people. They are, um, in a sense, right, they are operating between God and Israel in the middle to preserve this covenant relationship. Right? It's, it's kind of their job to be some of the glue that holds God and the people together. Um, but why? Right? Why are the priests necessary? Why do you have to give your offering to a priest for him to sacrifice? Why couldn't you just do it on your own? Right? What's wrong with that? The priests were set apart by God <clears throat> to do that function, and they were um, they had to go through ritual cleansing and, and do all the kinds of things that needed to be done so that they could bring the offerings to Okay. Yeah, not in the defiled way, but in the way that God prescribed. Okay. So Dave says because the, the priests were set apart for this job, they were cleansed. But why couldn't the people just be cleansed and then do that? Why priests? What is special about priests that's different from the people? They're called by God. Okay. But what, is that, what does that even mean? Because the people, in a sense, were called by God, too. The priests were set apart by that purpose for by the mark of ordination. Is that where you're going? A little bit. But I'm going even further to push us towards... Okay, so why, why an office specifically for sacrifices and for offering all these things? Why, why couldn't the people just do it? Right. What, what is the problem with someone just coming into God's temple and offering a sacrifice? They represented Christ. Okay. Which, unpack that. Well, I mean, his blood, so they're, they're showing the blood of Christ in, uh, in the future. So it's his sacrifice initially that they're, they're pointing to. Okay, that's true. But... Maybe even big picture it a little bit more, and with the Mosaic Covenant, right? The priests represent God. So when the people bring an offering to the priests to offer to God, they are bringing it to the Lord, and the Lord offers it. He takes it, right? Accepts it, and the priests offer it because the priests are specifically set apart to represent God to the people. Right? They are, in a sense, the, the arms and legs of of God's ministry of grace and love to them. On earth, right? They are the temple guardians. They are the ones who are preserving this covenant relationship, who are blessing the people, sacrificing for the people. Um, 
so in a sense, think about it like this way. Um, God is holy. And the people are not. That gap has to be bridged. And because God is holy and the people are not, that gap has to be bridged by someone who is also holy. And so the priests were set apart, meaning they were made holy and consecrated by God in order to do this work of bridging the gap between God and people. Because the people could not come before God. Because holiness and unholiness do not mix. Right? It's like um, it's like fire and grease. You can't you can't combine them without there being an explosion, because the fire is going to consume it. Right? The fire is going to sweep it away and destroy it. That's the point of God's holiness and why there has to be someone in the middle to bridge the gap. Because if a person who is unholy comes and offers a sacrifice, they're going to be obliterated. Right? It's dangerous. Because God's holiness is a threat to people who are not holy. And because it's dangerous, right, the priests take that burden. The priests take upon themselves that responsibility, that danger, and they stand in the middle. They stand between God and the people. They offer sacrifices. They bear the, the brunt. Right? And they have to be holy too. Because if they're not, things will go badly quickly. Think of uh, Uzzah. Right? What a name. Um, but Uzzah, who was uh, one of the, the priests, one of the Levites, who's carrying the ark as David brought it back um, triumphantly. Right, David's bringing it to Jerusalem triumphantly. The oxen stumbles, and Uzzah puts his hand on the ark right, to, to stop it, or to try to protect it. And God, you know, boom, dead. And understandably, David is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't realize that this was dangerous, right? So he sends the ark somewhere else because he's like, this, that's, that's too dangerous to have in my city. Because right? God's holiness is dangerous. But the, because the Lord wants his people to be brought into his presence, he institutes the priests who can do that for the people. Um, so the priests are there for the protection of God's people. They are there to protect God's people from God's holiness. Right? So they are, they are facilitating bringing Israel into God's presence, bringing Israel into worship, into offering sacrifices, um, and enabling the people to be able to do that without you know, being struck down. Um, A second reason why the priests are necessary is because, well, let me ask it as a question, right? The priests were not only there to protect the people, but they're also there to protect God. Any guesses how they do that or what that means? So the priests, priests were there to protect God, the people, right, from God's holiness, but they're also there to protect the Lord. Michelle? Maybe they protect his holy name by showing off that the separation is necessary and that you can't just come to God any old way you feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Right? They protect God's holiness by, by being a, a barrier, right, to entry into worship so that no one takes it lightly. Right? You don't get to worship God however you want. 
You don't get to just do whatever you want, right? You don't get to bring whatever kind of sacrifice you want. God says over and over again, don't offer me blind sacrifices. Don't offer me lame sacrifices or blemished sacrifices. That's, that's an insult to me. So the priests, in a sense, were also there to make sure that Israel was not offering blind and lame and blemished sacrifices, but that they were offering first, the first fruits and the best. Um, you can't just worship God however you want. How else do they protect the Lord? Any other guesses? Caring for the house of the Lord. Meaning what? Meaning uh, not pulling some of the stuff that the later kings of Israel did, setting up temples, or altars to other gods inside the temple district. Mm-hmm. The, if the priests have been doing their job, they would not have allowed the kings to do that. Okay, yeah. They were there to also protect the, the proper worship, protect the temple. Um, do you guys know where the Levites camped? in the wilderness as Israel was journeying. And Tim, don't answer this. Um, where the Israelites, where the Levites were camped. So all of Israel is traveling through the wilderness. You have the tabernacle in the middle. Where were the Levites camped? Around it. Around it. Yeah, so here's, here's the tabernacle. Here's the Levites. And then here's everyone else. Right? They are a physical barrier between Israel and, the, and God because, right, protection of the people so that God's holiness doesn't break out against the people, but also to protect the Lord's holiness, right? So that the people's uncleanliness doesn't break in and, destroy, and defile the temple. Um, right, that's, that's a, a tough job, but it's a necessary job. And then another way they protect the Lord, uh, Tim mentioned earlier that one of the things that priests do is they, they are responsible for the distribution to the poor, to the widows, to the orphans. Why do they do that? Why is that important? Why are the priests specifically tasked with that job? Any guesses? Matthew? You're writing things. Any guesses? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's God's heart. Right? God loves the widows and the orphans. He says that he is father of the fatherless. That that is who he is, is a God who cares for the oppressed, for the poor, for the needy. If if no one is fulfilling that job, right, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like God doesn't actually care. It looks like it's all words, right? Yeah, God says he's father of the fatherless, but all the fatherless are, are going without. They're, they're in lack, they're in need. They're being oppressed or used or they have to the scrounge. By having a whole office dedicated to this, it is the Lord saying, this is important to me and my people, the Levites, are going to fulfill this. They are going to represent my heart, my desires, my love for these people in physical, tangible ways. Right? And that protects God's name. 
Because if, if the other nations are looking in and saying, wow, this God who claims to love the poor, they're, all the poor are being oppressed, right? I guess God doesn't actually love the poor, or he's not real, right? But it protects his name from people um, tarnishing his reputation or accusing him by having priests who fulfill this, uh, so it's very important that the priests are doing that. So the priests protect the people, right? They're that they stand in between God and the people to take the brunt, to be that the intermediary in the middle for the people. But they also protect the Lord's holiness because they they protect the temple, right, from Israel's uncleanliness breaking in. They protect um, God's name by caring for the poor. Um, they are the, the ones who are showing God's heart, right, to Israel. They are the ones who are ministering this ministry of love. This ministry of, of grace and love and charity and protection all throughout the, uh, the Old Testament. So it, it would be pretty bad, right, if the priests were not doing their job. Things would go poorly... And Israel would go wayward and worship of God would be neglected and the poor would be oppressed if the, if the, uh, if the priests are not doing their job. And lo and behold, right, we have many examples in Scripture of priests who don't do their job. Think of Eli's two worthless sons. Right, here are two priests tasked with guarding the Lord's name and honor and reputation. And what do they do? Right, does anyone remember what things they were doing? How are they using their position? They were stealing the good pieces of meat. Mm-hmm. They were laying with the women. Yeah. In other words, they used their position of authority as a means of, of self-advancement and gain and to, to get things that they wanted. Right? When someone brought an offering, they'd say, wait, 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 wait. You can't just bring an offering in here. First, I have to have my piece. Right? That makes God look like he's greedy. It makes it look like that's what God cares about. Getting the, the, the best for himself, selfishly acquiring more and more. And it misses the whole point, right? That's, and that's why the Lord says that he rejects them. He rejects uh, Hophni and Phinehas. He rejects Eli and his household. Instead, what the Lord says in 1 Samuel 2 is, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. That's what the Lord wants. Priests who will do according to what is in God's heart. Priests who work out the ministry of God's love, who are not greedy for gain, but are quick to serve. Priests who don't use their position of authority as a means of self-advancement, but who are charitable, generous, servant-hearted, and faithful. Men who love God. That's who God wants as his priests. So clearly, the Mosaic priesthood isn't going to cut it. Because they were sinful. Right? They themselves needed sacrifices. 
Hebrews 5.3 says this, Because of this, the, the high priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Right? If your own priest, the one who's supposed to represent you to God, is himself sinful, he has to offer sacrifices for himself, and then he can offer sacrifices for you. Right? He himself is sinful. And further, there's other things that, that show us that the Mosaic priesthood is, is falling far short of what's actually needed. Uh, any guesses what else? How else did the Mosaic priesthood, what other shortcomings does it have? So the priests are sinful, right? That's one shortcoming. The sacrifices had to be made continually. Yeah, they had to be offered over and over and over again, year after year. And what kinds of sacrifices could the priests offer? Animal sacrifices. What's wrong with that? Hebrews 10.4 For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Right, the ministry of the priests in the Mosaic Covenant was, was fundamentally, not flawed, but f- fell far short of where it, what we actually need because they, all the priests could do is offer animal sacrifices. That can't actually take away sins. So then you say, well, what's the point? What is the point? It was a picture of something else. Yeah. It's pointing us somewhere. It's a signpost. It's a it's it's showing us that something greater has to happen. Because what's going on here ain't enough. Right? Our priests are sinful, they're sometimes worthless. All they can do is offer bulls and goats. They can't actually take away sins. It has to be done over and over and over again. We need a perfect priest who can offer a perfect sacrifice once and for all. One that can actually take away sins. That's what the Mosaic Priesthood is pointing God's people towards. Towards the fact that the promised seed, when he comes, he's going to offer the perfect sacrifice. Himself. Right? Jesus is going to be the great high priest who offers that once and for all sacrifice that takes away the sins of the people forever. That's what the Mosaic Priesthood is pushing us towards. So that's our next concrete answer right, to the question, what's the promise he's going to do? Well, he's going to be our high priest. He's going to offer himself a sacrifice. So now I'd like to, to move on and start talking about um, the clean and unclean system. So this is related to priests. This is related to the priesthood because the priests were also those who offered sacrifices for cleansing and helped the people make sure that they were clean before coming to worship. Um, but it's also a system that doesn't make a lot of sense for us because it's about far more than just making sure your hands aren't grubby. Um, so let's, let's talk big picture again before we dive into more of the details. What kinds of things made you unclean in the Mosaic Covenant? Okay, yeah, leprosy, which could be code for a lot of different skin conditions. What else? Dead bodies. Dead bodies, yeah, touching a dead body made you unclean. What else? In my case, last night's dinner. Did you have shrimp? Nice. 
Yeah, eating an unclean animal, right? Pork, shrimp, or bugs. You said blood. blood. Okay, yeah. If you were bleeding. What was that? Someone say them. Still a couple more. Same. What happens if you have a child? Are you clean or unclean? You're unclean. Sorry, Devin. Yep. It's 30 days, I think, for a girl, 15 for a boy. 30 days for a boy, 60 days for a girl. Oh, thank you. 30 days for a boy, 60 days for a girl. How many days have been, Devin? Yeah, you better keep track. What do all these things have in common? What unites all of these things? In other words, what's that? Perfections. Okay. How do you how do you become unclean? What has to happen? What do you have to do to become unclean? All these things are physical. Touching a dead body, having a child, um, touching blood, touching having leprosy and touching a leper. Um, these are physical things. Right? I think there's a couple of instances too where it's where it's a household, where it's a whole house can be unclean, and if you go into the house, now you're unclean as well. But it's still physical, right? It's it's the physical presence, it's going into some place, it's touching something, it's the physical act, it's something that touches you or happens to you physically. So is being unclean the same as being in sin? No, you can be defiled, you not sin. Okay, yeah. Okay. Phew. Thank goodness, Devin. We were all getting worried for you. But Devin's fine, right? Just because she had a child doesn't mean she's in sin. But how else, what's, what's, what else differentiates uncleanness from sin? Sin is something that you do. Sin is something that you do, okay. Can you pass on sin by touching someone? Can you pass on uncleanness by touching someone? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it can be transmitted, right? It's if, if a leper touches you, now you're unclean, right? And clearly, it can't be the same as being in sin because childbirth is not a sin. But if it's not sin, right, if it's something else, what does it mean then to be unclean? Like, why, why, what about touching a dead body makes you unclean? What does that mean? Does it mean you have to go wash your hands because it's germs? It's a ceremonial uncleanness. Okay. It affects uh, our ability to uh, meet with God. And and, uh, Jesus allows us the access that we didn't have before. Okay, so it affects your ability to be in God's presence. Yeah, because they had to be outside the camp to have to get cleansed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why? 
Why does being unclean prevent you from worshiping God? Does that sound kind of harsh of God? Like, you can't come to my temple and worship because you just had a kid seven days ago. Sorry. Because God is holy. Okay. But what's unholy about having a kid? Because God said so. (laughs) Okay. Well, but it goes back to that barrier between God's holiness and people's not. And God just sets the rules. Okay. And maybe they seem arbitrary. Sometimes. Sure. No, that's that's a good point, right? God sets the rules. He makes the laws, right? So even if we don't understand it, it is we know that there's a good reason for it because he's the Lord. And he doesn't do things just arbitrarily. But I think we can push a little bit and and see a couple of ways, right? There's a couple of ways, I think, where we can understand it. Um, I don't think I have a full picture. I don't think I have... I don't think I fully understand it either. But... Notice another thing that unites some of the things that we talked about. Childbirth, blood, death, leprosy. What about all these things speaks to you? Is there any other place in Scripture where these kinds of things are related? Maybe in Genesis? All results of the fall. And more specifically, these are curses of the fall. Right? In pain shall you have kids. It's a curse. Not that having children is a curse, but now childbirth is a curse. Death is a curse. Leprosy is a curse. Living in a fallen world is a curse. So you're just, it's just part of normal life for Israel that at some point you're going to become unclean because you can't live in a cursed world and not pick up any of the curses. It's impossible. So if you want to go to God, that means you go to the temple. Now what does the temple represent? It's his house, it's his dwelling place. Is it is it earth? Or is it heaven? It's heaven. So if you want to move from the cursed world of earth to the perfect world of heaven, Represented by the temple, you have to pass through a cleansing process first. Because they don't mix. Right? Holiness and unholiness don't mix. Perfect perfection and uncursedness do not mix with cursedness and, and the stain of living in a cursed world. You, so you can't come to God's presence. Because one thing is going to win, right? Either the, the curse is going to defile the temple or the temple is going to push you out and defile or destroy you. Because they can't mix. They can't be in the same place. So think about this, right? The, th- the kinds of things that can become unclean. There are a few things that can become defiled, and those include Israelites, right? People can become unclean. Um, vessels, like pots and stuff, can become unclean. The sanctuary of God can become unclean. And the land can become unclean. These are all things that are within a certain border, right? Inside the land. Why? Because the land itself is special. The land is set apart. The people are set apart. The things in the land are set apart. And the temple, the sanctuary of God is set apart. These are all pictures in little ways pointing forward to heaven. 
saying, if you want to live in heaven, you have to be pure. You have to be perfectly clean. There can't be any more curse or any stain of any curse. So if you want to come into the Lord's presence, you have to be pure. If you want to live in heaven, you have to be pure. There can't be any corruptibleness left. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, the unclean must put on clean in order to inherit heaven. Our mortal bodies have to put on immortality. Our corruptible bodies, bodies that can be made unclean, have to put on incorruptibility in order to enter into heaven. Because what the clean and unclean system is really teaching Israel is teaching them that it's teaching them about a spiritual problem through a physical tool, right? It's showing them through a physical reality the true spiritual reality. Because everything has to do with your body and the physical and touching stuff, right? But what it's really saying is you have a spiritual problem. And no amount of washing your hands is going to fix that. So what does Jesus do? And I want to read a ton from Hebrews, but we're almost out of time. Go read Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll read just just a couple verses. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... In other words, if blood of bulls and goats and all the clean and unclean laws, if these serve to sanctify and purify the flesh, the physical reality, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In other words, the cleansing laws of Moses serve to purify the flesh, but Christ, as your high priest, has purified your, your whole soul your whole being, your conscience. The spiritual problem has been solved by the blood of Christ. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Any questions, comments, confusions, things you wish you could say to me, if you would, but you're too scared? All right, well, let's pray and give thanks to our high priest, and then we'll prepare for worship. Lord, we thank you for raising up a faithful priest who would do and say all that is in your heart. Thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus, who has purified us, who has offered the sacrifice once and for all to cleanse us so that we can be in your presence, so that we can go to heaven, so that we can be pure. Lord, thank you. Thank you for capturing us and cleansing us and calling us yours. And we pray that you bless us as we enter into uh, your sanctuary this morning to worship you in the presence of angels and, and before you and your spirit. Lord, may you draw us in. May you show us the fact that we are not worthy to be here. May you comfort us with the fact that we are here because we are called and loved. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you for your grace. And all these things, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.